you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Boz here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. For 15 years now, we're, uh, we've been bringing the Chris Voss Show podcast. We're going to go eventually here on this probably year on uh, over 2,000 po- interviews. So stay tuned. And as always, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. I mean, uh, why are you trying to keep them out of the loop, man? Why are you trying to hide the Chris Voss Show from them? You know, uh, you just keep it on to yourself. That's kind of selfish, and self is just as bad. So you should share the show with your friends and relatives. <laughs> as always, we are the Chris Wash Show family. The family that loves you but doesn't judge. You remember, you're never alone with the Chris Wash Show family. We're always hiding in the corner watching you. I don't know. No, that sounds creepy. What is it, like a sting song or something? What's going on there? Uh, further show your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com for says Chris Voss, LinkedIn.com for Chess Chris Voss, YouTube.com for Chess Chris Voss, and uh, TikTok at Chris Voss One. Uh, we have an amazing uh, young lady on the uh, show today. She is not only a doctor, uh, we'll be talking about some of the amazing innovations and companies she's starting to help with breast cancer and uh, diagnosis, but she's also an author of some amazing children's books. So we're going to have a lot of fun on the show today. We're going we're gonna to do the full gambit, as the kids say. Kids don't say that, uh, but it sounded funny at the time in my head. And it wasn't when it came out. So there you go. Uh, she's the author of uh, an amazing series of books. Her latest one is called Dr. Rue and the case of the Red Hot Hawaiians. Dr. Rachel Wellner joins me on the show today. And she's going to be talking about the really cool, amazing book she has for kids. So if you have kids, you're going to love this. And we'll be talking about her new breast cancer diagnosis solutions launch as well. Uh, but before we get into it, let's get to know her a little bit better. Dr. Rachel Wellner is the author of the Dr. Ruth series of children's books. She is a board-certified general surgeon, a fellow of the American College of Surgeons, and Society of Surgical Oncology-trained breast oncology surgeon. Uh, in addition to her MD and surgical training, Dr. Wellner uh, earned a master's in public health from Columbia University, uh, reflecting her interest in global health. Most recently, she founded a startup called Calum, Diagnostic Solutions Incorporated, with the goal to identify cancer edges intraoperatively. I'm not getting that word right, am I? It's Intra- actually it's actually close. I'll, I'll give you the uh, the space that we're doing, but um, it's uh, we're actually trying to identify diagnoses early. So there when you do biopsy, we give the patient their news right away, as opposed to making them wait up to ten days. There you go. So there you go. That's uh, I flunked second grade. Everybody knows that on the callback <laughs> jokes. Uh, prior to that, she was an assistant clinical professor of surgery at the uh, uh, Montefiore Einstein Center for Care. And she's been a director of breast cancer services at NYEE Continuum Cancer Center, Pasco Valley Hospital and Palisades General Hospital. Welcome to the show, Rachel. How are you? 
Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great this morning. Thank you. There you you go. An awesome (laughs) sauce to have you on. Uh, Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Sure. I have a couple. I have www.drrachelwellner.com. You can also find my Dr. Rue books on www.drrue.health. So it's not a .com. And my my biopsy company is www.calumds.com. So that's C-A-E-L-U-M-D-S dot com. So we're going to learn a lot of cool things during the show. We're going to learn about uh, some of the amazing books uh, that you've written. And then uh, we're going to delve a little into uh, breast cancer, breast cancer awareness and surgery and, 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 and uh, diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera. So let's lead off. Uh, you have this series of books that you've done. And I think there's four books in the series. Is that correct? Yes, there's four. Three are text and one is a coloring book. At this there point. you go. I have, I have an idea for 20 of them, but, you know, as I entered the market, I wanted to start with about four. And it's kind of a series, isn't it, of the same sort of characters? that? Yes, uh, there is a doctor. Her name is Dr. Marsha Rue. Um, mm-hmm. She turns into the very powerful Dr. Rue whenever there's a medical case to be solved. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a kangaroo doctor living in Australia with three helpful buddies, um, her nurse, Kirby Koala, her assistant, Terrence Toad, and the mailman, Louis Lama, who's always the one who gives her the news about where a a health crisis is going on somewhere in the world. And then she flies her plane. She she pilots her own plane um, to wherever that is to figure out what's going on, usually with a young population of animals, children's population of animals in that area. Oh, nice. So uh, the, it's a series of four books, and you're hoping to do 20. Uh, and you, <laughs> them? I'm sorry? With the same characters running all through them? Yes, but what we do is, um, or what I do is, uh, yeah, I have a team, so I have a, public, a publishing manager, but I always create new characters that are um, from the local area uh-huh. um, so that there's always some variety. I try to add a lot of humor with the local characters um, that, that come into uh, into play. Like the book you mentioned, um, the, the Red Hot Hawaiians, there is a dance instructor named Gertie Goose, and she's just hilarious. She's got these scarves flaring, and uh, she's this very you know flamboyant, uh, beautiful dance teacher, and she teaches the young piglet, piglets how to prepare for the luau when their skin gets all red and itchy. And then Dr. Mm. Rue's on the case to try to figure out what's causing the uh, red and itchy skin amongst the piglets who are training for their luau and won't be able to dance unless she solves the mystery. Ah, there you go. So (laughs) what age group is it targeted to? It's like three to eight, four to eight. Oh, good. It's my level of reading. (laughs) (laughs) It includes second grade. Yes. (laughs) According to Chris reading the bios these days. Uh, Yeah. So there you go. What, what what motivates you to want to write kids books? Well, I've had this idea, Dr. Rue, since medical school when I did my pediatric rotation. I kind of knew early on that I wasn't going to be a pediatrician, although mm-hmm. I love kids. And, um, you know, when I went into my field, which was breast cancer oncology, I knew that I was only going to be treating adults um, and mostly adult women, although not exclusively. Some men do get breast cancer as well, but very rarely would a child uh, come into the practice, um, especially that young. So I wanted to give back in my own way to children. um, And I always had this sort of idea uh, to create a differential diagnosis for the kids, which actually turns out to be a mystery. Rule out this cause, rule out that cause, rule out this cause. So sending them on a sort of little detective mission to figure out 
what isn't causing the problem until they land on what is causing the problem. So that follows how we do medicine, um, how we practice medicine. And I wanted to take that knowledge and skills base and apply it to the youngest young because that's when health starts. Um, that's when, you know, when we develop good habits versus bad habits. And it really does, you know, set the blueprint for the, for the rest of your life and your health. So I thought it was quite important to target uh, young people. Um, those were my various uh, motivations for writing this series. There you go. And then we probably need some more inspirations for kids to become doctors maybe as well. You know, I the way I looked at it is that this book is an inspiration for young kids to become doctors, scientists, technologists, artists. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, there, there's, there's just... I really wanted to turn kids on to STEM, so the science, technologies, um, um, engineering, and, and math, although M is also medicine. So I wanted to turn kids on to that, but the, the artistry is so beautiful, and I can't take credit for that. I have a, a wonderful artist from the Ukraine who did all of the uh, all of the illustrations, and I thought any kid who wants to, you know, become creative and turn on their, uh, their, their art uh, art side and their uh, painting side, illustrative side, that would also motivate them. So. There you go. The creative artwork is really important for brains. We had somebody on recently who was talking about how uh, it really opens up the mind and uh, stimulates uh, the brain, which I need a lot of stimulation, um, mostly in electric shock therapy. But that's another thing for my therapist. <laughs> Don't get uh, me. <laughs> I was just I was just reading over the weekend uh, and posting on Facebook about how I guess they did some sort of test on people for boredom. And it, they put them in a room, and it's a famous experiment. They 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 asked them to sit quietly for 15 minutes in a room with nothing but their own thoughts, uh, which for most people is madness. And uh, and they gave them an option to hit a button to give themselves an electric shock, just because they're bored, right? You know, it beats uh, living with your own thoughts, I guess, for some people. And uh, and so people literally shocked themselves. Uh, nearly half opted made opted. <laughs> Opted to shock themselves. That's over the amazing. Minutes. So people uh, can sit in a sound chamber, huh? Yeah, some people. <laughs> they, yeah, they living in your own head. So I guess that's where that joke comes from. But I thought it was interesting. But yeah, we do need more. My understanding is is uh, especially with COVID, a lot of doctors have left a field. Uh, you know, we we already have a lot of different issues with uh, the baby boomers and uh, late Gen Xers uh, leaving the employment market. And my understanding of the doctor market is we need more doctors and they're kind of dwindling, yeah. uh, especially with kind of, you know, where we have the boomers leaving. And I think there's like one out of for every seven boomer leaving, there's one new worker to replace them. So there's a definitely a glut coming from what I, we've heard from doctors. Yeah, so. There's sadly a lot of career dissatisfaction in it, even though it's such a mm -hmm. wonderful field, it's, it's, it's so fulfilling. And so, you know, it's, 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 gives you so much purpose to take care of patients, but, um, there's a lot of overworking and there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of burnout. So, um, you know, there does, there does need to be some changes in the way mm -hmm. the field is run in order to attract what you want is, which is the best and the brightest, uh, to be taking care of your health. You do not, you don't want any less, um, than that because this is, you know, your most important possession that you have, which is your body and your health. Um, so you really do want, um, you know, very, very capable people taking care of your health. There you, go. you know, I think that that's what everybody wants. And we're, we've been so lucky in America. I know a lot of people always complain about the healthcare system here and there could be ways to do it better. And of course, universal healthcare is so important. Um, but we really, uh, we really do do it 
very well here. We don't turn people away. We take people right away. Um, you know, we, we, we care for people and all of their needs as best as possible, as soon as possible. But you are seeing, everybody's seeing the, uh, the, the remnants and, the, and the, the vestiges of an overworked, overtired system. And a lot of kids that don't want to go through 16 years of school and training uh, to get to their, to, to make their first dollar. You know, it's not, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not that simple, you know? Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of doctors complain about the insurance situation for getting paid, you know, and how they, how they love doing their work, but you know, they've got to have three to four people in their office that are just chasing money at, at insurance companies going, hey, yeah, that, that's kind of what I mean by the sort of, um, yeah. you know, the, 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 the sort of circles that are around mm -hmm. the actual practice of medicine. Like most of us love the practice of medicine. I love the surgery. I love taking care of people and all the other the paperwork and the insurance companies and fighting with them to approve a necessary test for a test and things like that. That that's what kind of really gets us down. There you go. There you go. Uh, so uh, what are some of the feedback you're getting from the kids out there and the thing? And maybe oh. you should make a book for 55 year olds like me for coloring books. How come no one makes coloring books for 55 year olds? What the hell is going on there? Uh, I picked up the coloring book and I've been, I'm filling it out myself as a 48 year old. So, you know, there's, there's nothing against it's actually coloring books are excellent for learning. Um, there you go. Excellent for continued plasticity of the brain. Um, so as we age, our brains become less plastic, meaning less capable of expanding and learning and forming new synapses. But we, you know, science has discovered that plasticity never ends. And you can see it when a person has a stroke, for instance, and they're rehabbed and they oh, really? can get their movement back. That's their brain being retrained to use oh. their to use their uh, joints, their 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 uh, their appendages, their arms, their legs, whatever. So the brain is plastic, and it can be retrained, can be stretched out. Um, so doing these sort of mindful exercises, always being conscious, and and exploring what I would call multiple dom domains of learning. So you brought it up earlier, but just to kind of um, extrapolate, so. Reading is one way of learning, but then looking at pictures is another way of learning. Listening to sounds is another way of learning. Tactile learning, so like in surgery, putting your hands on organs and things like that is a way of learning. Mm. Olfactory, your smell is a way of learning. And when you combine all five of your senses like that, it's very powerful. Uh, it's something that you generally don't forget um, when you combine those five sense, those five senses. Uh, in your learning process. So the more you can do that as a child, as an adult, the more you something's going to stick in your brain and you're not going to forget it. I mean, we'll call it nostalgia, but I'll, I'll call it learning. Um, so that's, yeah. that's just one little point. So yeah, so coloring books are another way, getting somebody engaged and filling within the lines and being detail-oriented, um, but also giving them a chance to be artistic and come up with their own color scheme. Um, is another very, very good way of children learning and remembering characters and remembering stories. In my coloring book also, it's called Who is Dr. Rue? So it also goes through like who she is and what she does. And it's not purely just the, just the coloring. There you go. Well, I, I had I did have to give up crayons because uh, when I was a child, I was addicted to eating them. And, uh, Pick a it, shows, <laughs> it shows in old age. So it took me years of rehab and uh, and psychology and shock therapy. Actually, we'll use that as a callback joke. The show. Um, and uh, Andy Talk Center. I yeah. 
Um, so I, I have to, uh, I think, in fact, I'm court ordered to stay away from crayons. I don't know why, but <laughs> that's a whole nother show. Uh, so how, what, what sort of research do you have to do to, uh, with children books, uh, how to write educational books without being preachy or, you know, making it fun for the kids without trying to, I don't know, uh, you know, be preachy. Well, no, it's a really, it's a really good question. I mean, okay. So, um, let's take my second book, which was, uh, which was Doctor in the Case of the Hacking Hippo. So the this one takes place locally in Australia. And the four the Fab Four that I mentioned, they get invited to the Sydney Opera House to watch the famous Hilda Hippo sing a concert. So they come, they 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 go up and they have balcony seats and they're listening to this concert. She's doing a duet with Jeffrey Gir Giraffe. It's very funny because he's got his neck wrapped around her hippo head, his long neck, and they're doing this beautiful duet. And then um, all of a sudden she then sings a solo and just as she's about to hit her high note, she coughs and then she goes to hit another high note and she hacks and you know, her, unfortunately her cough or sputum goes everywhere and, and, uh, and yeah. And, and just kind of, you know, splashes all over the entire audience and which is, which is actually kind of a, a funny image and you see all of the, uh, all the characters kind of ick, ugh, yuck, and then Kirby, who's asleep, wakes up, you know. And um, so then they go on a mystery to help her because you know Hilda is devastated; she doesn't know what to do. The Queen of England is coming in a few weeks to 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 be in the audience, and she has to do a good job. She's under a lot of pressure. So Doctor Who starts exploring the different causes with her team of what could be causing uh, the problem. So we make it so fun. Um, you know, I, I include songs, I make up songs, I make up rhymes um, to try to remember things. Like in this one, there's a song about germs, you know, germs, odious germs, wherever you go, you find them. And this is supposed to engage the kids the whole time without being preachy at all. Supposed, they're supposed to sing along with the characters, oh, have a good go. time and learn about, uh, you know, I don't want to give up the whole goose, but one of the main lessons of this story is hand washing. So oh. the song at the end is borrowed from Madonna, um, okay. where you sing, don't just stand there, let's get to it, wash your hands, there's nothing to it, go, go, go. And if you sing that 23 times, that's 20 seconds, which is the amount of time you're supposed to be. Oh. So that's yeah. how I've taken the preach out of it and added the fun to it. There um, you go. You know, so it's not preachy. It's not saying you must do this and you have to do this. And it shouldn't be a chore for anybody. It should actually be fun. And some of the other tips that people have asked me, I've said, well, if kids don't want to wash their hands, use the perfume scent that they like. Um, use an action figure they can wash their hands with. Oh, I like that. In the alphabet. These are all ways of getting them to not think about a boring task. Um, or a preachy task. So all of my books have that stuff. Like I have a hula so song for applying uh, sunblock and things like that. Um, again, taking the, the the pain out of uh, and the boredom out of things that sound like so boring, like health, um, and making it really fun and empowering the kids to kind of take control of their own health. There you go. Note to self: Start washing my hands with my evil Knievel doll. There you go. <laughs> People, I love it. People in Gen Z are what? what we need to what? keep him clean too. Well, he's, you know, I he's, I, he's I, had a history of being a little dirty. That guy. <laughs> yeah, I keep him. I I cuddle with him at night. I haven't grown out of that in fifty five years. So you know, it's uh my girlfriends think it's weird, but uh, you know, hey, um, you 
Whatever yeah. floats your boat, you know. Yeah, it's like that movie. I, Ted I thought Evil Knievel was a cool guy. I mean, who could yeah. ride like that? You know. There you go. It's the it's like that movie Ted. Uh, so before we roll out of the books, and we're going to talk about your new company for breast cancer diagnosis and stuff, and and the cool things you're innovating there. Uh, anything more you want to tease out on the books? No, just really, I, I really encourage parents and kids to go out and get these books. Obviously, um, you know, if you're older, you can read them on your own. If mm -hmm. you're a parent, you need to read them to your kids. I promise you, parents, you will learn things from this book. Um, these books are very well researched. So, oh. for instance, in the case of the picnic pirates, my recent one, we talk about one of the causes of why the bear cubs are being sick. Or are they over hibernating? That comes from Terrence Toad. So he makes oh. a mistake. He makes a mistake. Are they over not getting the proper sleep? It's during the summer months. So we explain, or I explain, the difference between hibernating and sleeping versus dormancy. So these, I don't just focus on only health. I, I actually teach about scientific phenomena, phenomena in the animal kingdom and things like that. So I promise you parents and kids, you will learn together about some really cool things. Like I said, every book is very, very well researched. Um, every aspect of it, including the 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 local fauna and and um, animals that live in the areas, those have been researched. So yeah. you know, when you go to when when they fly to Hawaii, the chittle deer and the mongoose, every creature that's there are in, are uh, inhabiting that area. So nothing nothing has been made up or or is false. Everything is is uh, is very factual. And again, I just think it's a great experience. It's a great bonding experience for parents and kids. And um, I think, you know, buy the books because the more I can get these books out there, then I can come up with a second volume, maybe make a, a cartoon. This is this is a chance to combine education with entertainment. There's just not enough out there for kids to learn from and also be entertained by. And I think all parents will complain that they don't know what to expose their kids to uh, in this day and age, it's it's not easy. So this is wholesome uh, learning and all things good for your kids. There, there's not one negative here. There you go. Probably opens their mind to things around the world, uh, a, a bigger world outside themselves, and well, what goes on there. Absolutely. In addition to the into the in the, the health, I mean, I base this a little bit on my own life when I used to do a lot of um, public health. Uh, work. I used to travel to uh, Central America and India and other places where there were underserved populations and um, and provide medical care to these populations. I, I really wanted to do it more as an adult, but when you have a practice, it becomes a little challenging to, um, to combine the two. But it's one of my true passions is to travel and provide health to the to the sickest sick who cannot otherwise get access to health. So that's why I made her a traveling doc. There you go. Uh, so there, based on your life and, uh, and, you know, hopefully can inspire more kids, you know, teach them science and, and stuff that's going on in the world and maybe inspire some new doctors to come up because I'm getting old. I, I need some more doctors. <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not. But, but you do, but you, we all want to have good care out there. So definitely. You know. Definitely. And I'm, I'm going to need a lot of doctors. Uh, I had too much fun in life. Uh, so let's talk about your uh, new company that you've launched and what you do there and, and maybe what you're currently doing as a doctor. Go ahead and, and uh, plug away. Absolutely. So after 20 years in the, in the clinical space, um, I uh, have founded and become the CEO of a company called Kalen Diagnostic Solutions. Now, not to correct you, Chris, but it's not just for breast cancer. Um, okay. This is for all solid malignancies um, and okay. maybe even the liquid malignancies like leukemia, but we, we haven't, we're taking it one step at a time. We're starting with the top five most common, which are breast, lung, skin, 
colon and prostate. Um, okay. So, so I've basically discovered a technology uh, that can uh, diagnose a biopsy in five minutes. Wow! So it tells, you, tells you what you've got, cancer-wise, non-cancer, in five minutes. Obviously, the next step beyond that is to not just find out whether the patient has cancer, but to give them prognostic information, treatment information, um, everything up front. Um, and I, because of the way the technology works, I have a 100% um, belief that, uh, that we will be able to do that through AI, algorithm analysis and software, and be able to determine exactly what kind of cancer somebody has, exactly what treatment they will be amenable to, what will work, what won't work, and again, what, what that person's prognosis is. And that's just just sort of the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it can open up potentials for cures and, and other possibilities. Um, so that's that's the start. Um, we're a little early stage right now, but we've gotten a lot of traction. I have an amazing team of these uh, 13 just powerhouse uh, people with engineering skills, clinical skills, business development skills, business skills, uh, you know, finance world, startups. Um, and we're attracting um, a lot of potential investors at this point, uh, at the same time as we're prototyping, dealing with the FDA um, and their process and reimbursement so that the hospitals can get reimbursed for this valuable technology. And the idea is, I mean, look, where this got, came inspired from was from my patients when they would get a biopsy for, of the breast and they would have to wait sometimes one day, sometimes two days, sometimes five days, sometimes 10 days, depending wow. on where they were. And I would get phone calls because I used to give out my cell phone to the patients, you know, crying, saying we can't function. I would have to write prescriptions for five days for Xanax. Wow. Could not function while they were waiting for the mm -hmm. test. I, I, I'm, I'm despondent. Can't talk to my husband. Can't talk wow. to my kids. Can't go to work. Every problem that you can imagine. Not to mention that sometimes there were problems like we'd find out that we five days later that we'd miss the spot and the patient would have to come back in for a second oh, biopsy no. when they thought yeah. they were done. Also during those delays, people would leave and go to other hospitals, get second opinions elsewhere and end up the, the doctor would lose the patient and go somewhere else. Um, and the, the other big problem is because um, a practitioner wants to guarantee they get the cancer or get the suspicious area, they'll keep sticking the patient. Needle, 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 needle. Not the biggest deal in breast, although talk to a breast cancer biopsy patient and they'll tell you otherwise, they do not want to get biopsy 12 times. Yeah. But if you're a lung cancer patient and you have needle after needle after needle, that needle can actually collapse your lung or give you chest pain. 68% of patients undergoing a lung biopsy through the chest wall are hospitalized within 30 days for either a pneumothorax, which is a collapsed lung, um, chest pain or shortness of breath. That's way too high. That Those expenses are astronomical. Um, so we're talking about saving the hospital a lot of money, saving the patient tremendous aggravation. No patient wants to get a chest tube placed or possibly die because they, they lost their lung or bled to death from a liver biopsy or something like that. So the idea is to reduce the number of needle sticks because we'll give them immediate feedback mm -hmm. them right away. Each biopsy will tell them if it's cancer or not so they can stop taking extra needle sticks and be able to give that patient the answer right away so that they don't have to go home and wait incessantly for, uh, to find out what they've got. There um, you, go. so, you know, that, that's, that was what uh, drove me to, into doing this. And then I found all these other wonderful advantages to this technology. 
There you go. Uh, yeah, I can see how that's really important. I've had my friends post on Facebook, you know, I just went in for a biopsy and we've got to wait X number of days and I'm on pins and needles and I'm really kind of freaking out. Um, I One of my first companies, uh, it was a big company, was a, a courier delivery service and we, we delivered for a company called ARUP or was it ARUP? Yeah, ARUP uh, here in Utah and uh, they did medical testing on blood biopsies you know basically all the hospitals would send their mm-hmm. stuff to them for testing and i remember there were times where uh biopsies would get lost and then they would expire because they weren't uh, or sometimes they weren't cooled right or sometimes there wasn't enough but there was all sorts of testing we would see i mean sometimes we would go to a clinic or a hospital and pick something up and they would spill it on the table and you're like oh, wow. holy crap um, somebody's got to come back in for that. And yeah, it was, we would hear all sorts of nightmare stories over the years of, of different things. Uh, and, and, and coming back in for a breast biopsy or any sort of biopsy to have it done again, just because somebody fumbled the football, uh, just what a nightmare. Yeah, um, that does. It's, it's rare that pathology gets mixed up or lost. Yeah but it does happen. And so, you know, it's, it's rare that like a a sample will get mislabeled with the wrong patient or, um, or just gets lost completely while it's being sent out or sent around the hospital, but it does happen. So this is definitely a way to, and and, and we're not obviating pathology. We're still going to send the specimen for confirmation um, with the pathologist, but uh, the idea is, is that we'll make life a lot easier for those pathologists. Like, for instance, right now, like I said, they're digging through 12 biopsies looking for the needle in the haystack. We're going to be able to tell them, okay, here's where we found the cancer in vial one, specimen two. They can go right to that, get their answers, triage their specimens, and then go on to the next case and be able to do maybe three, four, five, six more cases during that day. So treating several more patients, making more money for the hospital and their department, it's just a win-win situation. And we're not even in competition so much with the with the liquid biopsy companies that are, um, you know, the, the blood tests that are saying you may have a high probability of having prostate cancer. Okay, great. So great, not great. It's not great, but I'm just saying you've gotten that result. Now you have to come to get your imaging um, and your scoping and your biopsying to prove that that liquid biopsy was correct. It, we don't, we don't take out prostates based on a blood test we need to know exactly what we're removing um you know via biopsy so we work in tandem and synergy with those things but what will also help is that the after send outs so when we take pieces of tissue and send out to other companies to give you that information i just mentioned to prognostic and and um and treatment we might be able to do that in one stop shop and and that will help that will help with expense that that's meaningful use of uh of healthcare it's responsible use of healthcare it's not wasting thousands and thousands of dollars um to do very expensive send out tests that we really fight with insurance companies about mm-hmm. um so so this might be a way to get the insurance companies a little softened to 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 pay for something that works just as well and can be done, like I said, instantly by the bedside. There you go. Plus, I mean, if you if you do have cancer, you want to get on it right away and get active. You know, right. We want to be able to book those patients. I mean, that's the that was the other advantage is, is you know as soon as you've got that diagnosis and you have some basic information, you can at least start 
some sort of treatment or treatment plan. You may not be able to get the definitive treatment plan right off from the get-go, but you can begin that treatment plan and put that patient into the system so that they're not waiting. It usually, I mean, in my case, in the breast cancer world, I would say two weeks to a month usually before we would get that patient either on the Holy table crap. or for chemotherapy to shrink their tumors depending on what they what they needed. I mean, it just... The, the, it's just the nature of the system to find out all the information, whether the other breast is containing tumor, whether they need to see a plastic surgeon for a reconstruction or something, something else, and then finding the operating room time. So all of it kind of coalescing together would allow the process to be uh, streamlined and, and, and the patients to be booked at least booked in the system right away. And I think the treatment would be much, much more, more done more quickly, especially underserved areas. In some of these underserved areas, uh, patients are waiting Something. 72 to 90 days, especially in underserved areas. So I practice in New York City where it was a little like less of a problem where patients, uh, although I practice in the Bronx as well and also out in Queens. So I saw differences between, um, you know, between the, uh, the areas um, that were being served. But you go out to the middle America where there are not many providers and not as many hospitals, not as many facilities, and patients are waiting sometimes three months before they get into treatment. Um, it's it, in my mind, it's unacceptable um, that during that period, if it's that long, that cancer has the opportunity to grow and spread. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's scary. On your website, you guys talk about how. Cancer is an ever-increasing problem mm -hmm. affecting the world's population. There's 20 million cases of cancer diagnosed annually worldwide. There's a compound annual growth rate of 2.5%. Mm -hmm. yep. Holy crap. That's, a, that's an interesting phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Part of that is because those are world statistics. Mm -hmm. um, part of it, I mean, here's the good news, is that part of it is because screening is getting better in especially in parts of the world where they never had screening before so part of it is okay. we're just getting more numbers because we didn't capture them before but the other part of it is very complicated it's genetic it's environmental it's um you know it's the food we eat it's the air we breathe in it's uh the, the cancer rates are definitely going up the other part of the good news is people are living longer from other causes like people used to die when, when i was growing up a lot more frequently from heart disease and they don't as frequently because we're much more aggressive with that. So mm -hmm. they live a little longer to get cancer, but there are plenty of, let's say just in my breast cancer world, 30 year old women getting breast cancer. And it, it was always like, what is up with that? Uh, it didn't make sense. It's, it's like, you know, so the, the, you know, again, being a polyfactorial disease, you know, you could only say age, genetics, family history, where they grew up, if there was something toxic where they grew up, uh, the environment, diet, um, you know, sort of factors like that that are very, very hard to tease out. What exactly is the one predominant thing that could cause this or uh, the couple of predominant things that can be done about this? But at least if we can catch it earlier, treat it better, uh, treat it faster, we, we can prolong survival and actually you know, render a cure, render somebody disease free so they can go on to live a normal life. So very, the screening and the early detection and the early treatment is very, very important. Living in a world where that the CAGR that you just mentioned is so high, we have to respond. Yeah. And the, the beginning response is, is a tool like what I'm trying to introduce 
um, is to is to make that diagnosis right away and to get that person into treatment right away. Most definitely. Uh, it helps lower uh, uh, lost revenue, uh, elevated costs of care delivery, uh, increased uh, risk of injuring patient, or at least addresses those. That's what I mentioned with the needle sticks, for instance. If, yeah. you, if you can get, the, if you can find out, get the important shot on the first needle stick as opposed to on the twelfth, you really reduce that patient's uh, chance of injury. Yeah. I mean, 10 minutes as opposed to two weeks. And yeah, I mean, I, I would be, you know, I, I've had things with my dogs where they've had my dogs and my kids, but I, they've had the, you know, they've had something tested and you're, you're literally, you know, you kind of live in suspension and it kind of gets to you a little bit. So I can imagine, you know, oh, yeah, by the way, this has, a, this has a big role in the veterinary world as well. Oh, really? um, well. It, you know, there's no question that this could be used in the, in any world where you're diagnosing uh, mammals or creatures for, um, for cancer. Um, so this, this has a very big, you know, we haven't even counted up that as a, as a target market, but it is a target market as well. There you, know? you go. Cancer is cancer. Yeah. And it's a pretty darned evil. Uh, as far as I'm it's concerned, an evil, it's an evil disease. It's an evil yeah. disease that has eluded us for a long, long time and hopefully not forever. And the sooner we can get to fixing it, the better. Uh, so as we go out, Rachel, uh, any final thoughts on uh, everything you do there? You're, you're doing quite a lot. You got everything from breast cancer Ooh. work to, to uh, doing children's books. Yeah, I'm busy, and I and believe it or not, I would like to get clinically involved again after you know after I've uh, you know uh, raised the money and done all the clinical testing and and we've built our our uh, minimal viable products and and uh, started testing. Uh, you know, extensively, uh, and then, and then start creating revenue by actually, uh, selling the, selling the, um, the device, uh, actually what's really nice is that we've got it on a subscription model. So huh. we're looking to sell it for say like $20,000 per year. And that way the hospitals, the, the medical centers can say, well, look how much revenue we brought in because of this machine. And they can decide if they want to buy it a year later. Like a lot of these companies come in with a $300,000, $500,000 massive capital expense, one-time expense, but hospital uh, purchasing departments just say it's too much. And we don't mm -hmm. know we're taking a risk. We don't know if it's going to bring us money in. I mean, look, you've got to think about the money side of these this, these things too. Yeah. You're, you know, I know your show talks about thought leaders and CEOs and everything else. So obviously there's a very big human component to what I'm doing, but there's also a, a very big financial component to what I'm doing as well. And so when you're trying to make a case for, um, for making this type of a sale and for getting investments and things, you have to know there's a target customer on the other end and having a subscription model, a yearly fee like that, that's so much lower than what most device companies will consider selling you their devices for. It's like music to the ears for the hospitals and uh, and purchasing departments don't even necessarily need to get involved um, at such a low cost. So that's what we're working on, my team, is to make sure that we can keep it at a low cost, keep it affordable, make it an annual cost so that they can recoup all their money and make money off of the machine so that it becomes an expense that they're happy to happy to pay for and uh patients are over overjoyed with the results that they're getting and that's that's what my that's what my uh company's about that's what i like to stand for which is value and integrity and um you know that's hopefully that will that will be um you know, that will be experienced by everybody who gets to appreciate and experience the Kalem system. 
There you go. There you go. So uh, give us your doctor. Read Dr. Rue because you'll love Dr. Rue. And read Dr. Rue. There's the fun. (laughs) You know, the nice thing is, is, uh, you know how when you go into the doctor's office, they have the books or magazines there. You know, you can just put your books out there and, you know, there you go. That's that's one of my plans is to get books and and put it out there for 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 readings and things. So you got you got something to read while you're waiting for that ten minutes of uh, the thing. And then you you learn something in the process for sure. There you go. And uh, just a PSA: if anybody has eating crayons addictions, uh, get help. (laughs) So okay, I I I do not. I don't treat that. (laughs) So I do a lot of things, but I don't treat that. But I can I can at least point you in the right direction. I I might have had a condition called Pika, but that's just my. There you go. Uh, You can you if you have a crayon addiction, you can dial one eight hundred. Knock it the hell off. Uh, there you go. Uh, well, thank you very much for Rachel for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun and very insightful and we covered the whole gambit, man. We went from, we went from, uh, medical stuff to children's books. So there we you go. Did. We covered a large gamut and, uh, and, 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 and I would say 25% of, of, of the stuff that I'm interested in. I've got a lot of interests, but we, we can say there that. The time. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Rachel, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Chris. Really, it's been a pleasure, and you're a wonderful host, and I wish you the best of luck with your show. Not that you need it, but uh, maybe stay away from those crayons. That'll keep your show going for long. Yeah, that's that's probably true, although people don't know that's probably the secret to the show for 15 years is the crayons. Okay. Okay. I won't mess. I won't mess. Yeah. (laughs) There's some jokes there, but I'm going to leave them alone. Anyway, uh, thank you, Rachel, for coming on the show. Thanks, Manus, for tuning in. As always, uh, go support our authors that we have on the show. You can check out Dr. Rue in the case of the Red Hot Hawaiians and the other three books in the series. Uh, the great thing is, is uh, you need kids uh, gifts coming up because it's what? It's almost October here. Kids, Holiday time coming up. People are watching this 10 years from now going, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's almost October now in 2023, people. Read the dates on the YouTube videos, please. Um, uh, you're getting any books for them kids there because the kids like Christmas gifts right. last time but I the checked. The books were like $11 a piece. Uh, They're really not very expensive. Yeah. So. My parents gave us rocks for Christmas. They even <laughs> wrapped them. So don't do that. My parents didn't do that. So uh, buy that on a whole set. That way you can give them away to everybody and their kids, and then maybe they'll but they won't bother you as much when you're uh, at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, you here, go read this, uh, you know, then they won't, then they won't uh, be talking to you and stuff. I mean, that's how I work on <laughs> Christmas. I'm like, go away, go away. I, this is the reason I have dogs and that's all. No, I'm just kidding. I like kids. They're nice uh, for other people. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, order up the books where fine books are sold. Uh, refer to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com. For oh, books. I should mention doctor.health and Amazon. You can, that's where you can pick up most of these there you go. And what was the first one? Am- okay, Dr. Root. We've got three. Dr. Root in the case of the Picnic Pirates. Okay. Dr. Root in the case of the Red Hot Hawaiians. Mm-hmm. Dr. Root in the case of the Hacking Hippo. Mm-hmm. And the coloring book, Who is Dr. Root? There you go. And you'll uh, find so- them all on Amazon or on that website I gave you, Health, which will bring you to the Amazon site. Okay, drdrew.health? Uh, so D-O-C-T-O-R-O-O.health. Okay. You spell out Dr. Roo, like a kangaroo doctor. No DR. There Dr. you go. Roo. There you go. Uh, all right, guys. So check it out. Order them wherever fine books are sold. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that should have a